Okay, folks, how am I get underway? Um, we see we have a very, very conscientiously religious cloud. The men and women are sitting as far as possible away from each other that with a gaping center hole. So I'll see you guys in you guys here. Um, Plenty of room in the middle, guys. Don't feel left out or lonely. Plenty of room in the middle. Okay. Um, hi, folks. My name is David Foreman. Nice to have you for the next half hour or so. But I'd like to talk about, sorry that my uh, title didn't get displayed. I was neglectful in getting a title back to them in time. Um, so let me share my best shot at a title uh, with you right now. What I'd like to talk to you about um, is uh, where do we get our values from? And what I mean by that um, is... Uh, take the title of this week's, of, of this conference, right? As far as I can tell, the title is Strengthening Families Together. And so the question that I have really is, how would we go about trying to figure out how to do that? Where do you even look for guidance for that? Um, and that's a tough question, because it's not like you can sort of take a Chumash or take a Gemara or take a Shulchan Aruch and open it up to the section called the laws of strengthening families together, right? It doesn't go that way. There's no Parsha, right? We're in Parsha's Korach. We're not in the Parsha of strengthening families together. So where do you go for something like that? So you could go to, um, you, you could try to go to university maybe, or you could go to the self-help bookshelf and you could take out Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and see if you get some insight over there. Maybe you could read I'm Okay, You're, or You're Okay, or How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk. And you could try to find a bunch of books that might give you some guidance. You could talk to friends. You could come and you could talk, to, or you could go to a conference like this and you could listen to speakers talk about that. But that just pushes the question one back, one step further, which is, where do those speakers get their insights from? Are they just people who have kind of been around the block and have something to share? Um, and, uh, and where do we, as Jews, uh, find our values and find our values about important things like that, uh, strengthening, um, strengthening families? Um, is it just something you do from the gut? So... You know, typically the answer would sort of be, well, you would look in the Torah. But the problem is, like, where would you, again, where would you look in the Torah for this? Um, when we think of, of how the Torah guides us, most of us think in terms of halacha, right? I look at, I, I go, I learn halacha, and I follow the laws. But there's seemingly a difference between halacha and values, 
And where do we find guidance um, for, for the values part of our lives? So what I want to do with you is kind of um, make an argument to you that there is a part of Torah which we often overlook, that we ought not overlook. And that part of Torah is the most basic part of the Torah. And it's there specifically to teach you values. And that part of the Torah is, um, is the Bible itself, Tanakh itself, Chumash itself, in Chutal Shemikra, or in Omek HaPshat. There are tools you can use in learning Pshat which are revelatory, and we'll take stories and laws that don't seem um, to be talking to me, that seem to be talking about arcane things that have little to do with me, oxes that gore other oxes, other kinds of things. But if you begin to really study them seriously, you begin to find, astonishingly, that they're talking about values. And they're talking about values that are intensely relevant to our lives and how we live our lives, even such things as strengthening families together and trying to, and, and trying to do that. Um, I want to suggest that, you know... Um, a fellow I often quote, Mortimer Adler, uh, he wrote a book called How to Read a Book, and one of his arguments was that before you read any book, you have to understand a genre, because you don't want to ask the wrong questions about the book. And uh, if you're reading a chemistry book, you don't want to ask, uh, and, and you don't know you're reading a chemistry book, and you're reading a poetry book, um, you can ask the wrong questions about it and completely misunderstand it. Or if you're reading poetry, you think you're reading chemistry. So my favorite example is you're reading Carl Sandburg's poem, uh, the fog crept in on his little cat feet, and you start asking questions of the fog can't creep, and it's not a cat, and, and before you know it, you dismiss the poem, and it, you just don't understand the genre. You're asking the wrong questions about it. So, you know, what genre is the Torah? When you read the Torah, what genre is the Torah? And uh, the argument I want to make is that the, the Torah is a guidebook. It's there primarily to talk to you about these values and talk to you about how to live your life in connection with God. And part of those, so there's laws in the Torah, there's stories in the Torah, and, uh, um, and um, the laws and the stories have different aspects to them. The laws have uh, law in terms of what it is that you need to do, but the law is also conveying values to you. Um, and uh, the stories are conveying values to you. And it's up to us to try to see how that might be. So I want to jump in with you and talk to you about sort of two values questions related to uh, strengthening families together and talk to you in, in the context of some laws, um, the Aserta Dibrot in particular. Uh, and, and the Aserta Dibrot, I think, for most of us, don't seem all that relevant. They just seem like a bunch of laws. You know, if I ask most of you, um, you know, what great values questions have you struggled with, or what great meaning of life questions, or what great, uh, you know, what guidance have you given, gotten in your life from the Ten Commandments of the last 30 days? You know, most of us would say, not all that much, right? I mean, like, if I haven't been considered, considering killing someone, right, so then what does number six, Lo Tirzach, really have to do with me, right? And, and so how do we translate this into the language of values? Um, so it doesn't seem to be all that relevant. It seems to be laws that, yes, I need to abide by, but it doesn't really seem to be talking to me about values. But I want to suggest that it does. 
Let me raise two values questions related to strengthening families together and then talk about the Aceras Adibros as a kind of window onto those two questions. Question number one. Um, um, let's say you have a kid with low self-esteem. It's a tough nut to crack as a parent, right? How do you deal with that? And you're tearing out your hair because... You know, what, what do you do? Uh, how do you, what do you tell a kid? You tell a kid right on the blackboard 500 times, I am worthwhile. Like, is that going to work? You know, it's not going to work. Uh, are you, you know, and, and the crazy thing is if you, yeah, so you say, but you're such a good ballet dancer, right? You know, like, look at you. It's, it's beautiful what you do. So is that, if a kid really has poor self-esteem, is that going to do it when mom tells her she's such a good ballet dancer? What will the kid reply? You're just saying, you're just saying that because you're my mom. No, but Devori says you're a good ballet dancer. What's she going to say? My she's my friend, right? You see how like frustrating it is, right? But look, you got a, you got a, a 93 on your geometry final. What's she going to say? Uh, you know, but uh, but Devori got a hundred. You know, and I, I'm worthless. I'm. It, it's very hard. What do you do? How do you inculcate self? Because if someone has a self-esteem problem, right? There, in some deep way, whatever it is that they do, they're going to kind of consider poisoned by the fact that they're the ones who did it, right? So obviously, it's not any good because it came from me. So you can't convince them otherwise. What do you do? So that's one, I think, very basic practical values question. Let me take another painful question. Um, the halacha requires us to honor our parents. That's not always so easy. What if your parents weren't so nice? What if they weren't so nice to you? What if they aren't so nice to other people? What if you don't like them so much? I mean, just being honest, right? So, like, because, you know, I, I love my mom, you know, I love my parents, but, but I was just this past week had a situation, somebody just broke down in tears. Like, you know, when, when my father died, I sat Shiva because it was the right thing to do, but I hadn't spoken to him for 16 years, right? So, and uh, a, a girl who was wounded, you know, father never wanted a girl, you know, never wanted a firstborn girl, always, uh, you know, distant. So what do you do? How do you, how do you honor your parents in, in a situation like that? I mean, I think two very basic painful questions in, in strengthening families together. I could go on. Um, uh, divorce. Uh, you know, the rate's higher than we would like. You know, what can be done uh, if you had to give people advice going into marriage, right, to give them their best shot. Um, you know, what would you say? You know, you, you have three minutes with, with somebody. You have something, to, some words to live by. What would you do? So I do believe that Sarah Sadibras actually, believe it or not, offers us guidance in these very, in these very questions. I'm going to, time is always a challenge for me. This is really like an hour and a quarter talk that I'm going to condense into about like half an hour here. So I'm just going to talk fast because I think there's another talk here in 18 minutes. Um, so uh, let me kind of jump in and show you what I'm talking about. The trick is, is that as you're, 
as you're reading laws or as you're reading stories, um, you need to kind of pay attention to them carefully. And uh, there are some tools that you can use to be able to dig underneath the surface of a text. And not to just sort of sermonize about a text, but to really dig underneath the surface and get to the core of what the text is talking about. And one of those tools is to analyze the structure of a text, to pay attention to uh, the way in which a text is structured. So, for example, if you're looking at the Aserasadibras, you'll find that the most obvious structural feature, well, we don't have the Aserasadibras here, but if you're looking at you know, your average representation of the Aserasadibras, the most obvious structural feature of the document is... It's on two tablets, right? So you've got to make something of that. Because right? it would be simpler to just put it on one tablet, right? God could say to Moses, Moses could say to God, you know, put it on 10-point type and, and just, you know, condense this on one tablet. Easier for me to make it down the mountain, you know? So why is it on two tablets? So the answer would have to be... Okay. So the answer would have to be that there are two different... You know, basic categories here, but all you guys are saying, but I don't know are the two different categories. So what I want to do now is, again, that's what you learned in school. So what I want to do now is just subject that to critical analysis, because that's what we do as adults, and just check our hypothesis and see if it's really true. Is it really true that the two categories are So tablet number one, Anochi Hashem Certainly a relationship between me and God, right? Lo you shouldn't worship other gods. Also a relationship between me and God. Lo um, don't bear God's false witness against God. Don't bear, uh, sorry, don't um, take God's name in vain. Also a relationship between uh, human beings and God. So far we're three for three. We've got Shabbos, certainly a relationship between human beings and God, but onto our last one, the first tablet. And now we're stuck, right? Because you've got Kaveh Asavich Vasimacha. Last I checked, your parents were people. What do they do in there? If you just switched them into the next tablet, we'd be fine, but we're stuck with, you know, five and five instead of four and six. What are your parents doing there? It must be that the category, it's close. Right, but no cigar, so let's refine the category. It's not really relationships between people and God, right? What's the common denominator now between relationships between God and parents? What's the catch-all there that would work for both God and parents as opposed to others? Relationship between people and authority figures. But now let's talk about which kind of authority figures, because my boss is also my authority figure, but he doesn't make it onto this side of the Ten Commandments. So what kind of authority figures? Let's narrow it down a little bit further. What about them makes them authority figures? Creator, right? So relationships between me and my creators, right? So I have heavenly creators, I have earthly creators, as the Ramam talks about, as the Gemara talks about, Shlosh Hashif and Ba'adam, there are three. And, and so the reason why I... I view parents and God as authority figures as above me is because they I owe my life to them. They are my creators, which means that the next tablet is relationships between me and everybody else, right? which basically means between me and my peers. You understand? Because the, the first category you might envision as sort of, we might call them vertical relationships, right? Relationships that go up and down. My parent, my creator, they're up there. 
right? They, they are authority figures in a way that my boss can never be an authority figure, right? Because my boss is an authority figure because I happen to work at the Acme company. Once I stop working at the Acme company, my boss is not an authority figure anymore. He's just a peer. There's only two beings who are always authority figures, that you cannot escape them. And those are God and your parents. Because they created you, there's no way to escape that. So everybody else is basically peers. Everybody else has, I have a horizontal relationship with. So I have horizontal relationships and I have vertical relationships. What I want to show you now is that, there are, that when I talk about structure in the Ten Commandments, I just want to you one aspect of structure. Just looking at the fact that our two tablets there can be enlightening. But what you can do then is continue to probe the structure. And you'll find that there's layers of meaning, layers of structure in the document. And each layer that you perceive brings you to a deeper and deeper insight about what the document is talking to you about. So layer one, two tablets. Let's go further. Is there a further layer of structure besides two tablets in the document? So you look at the document and you say, well, it just so happens that um, this document is organized in a way that there are five commandments on tablet number one, there's five commandments on tablet number two, there's five on one and five on two. Curious minds want to know, right? You might begin to think, what? Right? Perhaps they're parallel to one another. Perhaps they match up with one another. Now, that is a very big deal. That is not a small deal. Let's talk about why that's such a big deal. If, in fact, there's a correspondence between the five on side one and the five on side two, why is that not just a little trivial thing, right? In a way, that one truth right there might be the most powerful thing you walk away with from today's conference, just that one realization. Why? Why does it matter so much that... The tablets might be that the commandments and the tablets might be parallel. Talk to me. Yeah. So it might suggest a parallel in our relationships. Like relationships are relationships, right? I have vertical relationships and I have horizontal relationships. But if I have struggles in a vertical relationship, it's going to probably also manifest itself in a horizontal relationship, right? And if I have strengths. It'll probably manifest itself in both relationships, right? What if there is a, a real kind of parallelism here? The parallelism might be granular. In other words, what might be the case is if these things are really parallel, that there really aren't Ten Commandments at all. In a deep kind of way, there'd really only be five. There'd be five basic principles that animate all relationships, whether they're horizontal relationships or whether they're vertical relationships. And the... Each principle looks like two commands, but the reason it looks like two commands is because it manifests itself in two different relationships. The way it looks like, and the way the command, the way the principle looks in a vertical relationship is a little bit different than the way the principle looks in a horizontal relationship. And hence, there's two sides to each of these principles right, as they reflect in vertical and horizontal relationships. But you can infer the principle by drawing the line. And what I mean by drawing the line is. Generally speaking, trying to figure out the reasoning behind the Torah's commandments is a task fraught with peril, right? Who says you're going to come up with the right answer? Because any reasonably creative person, when thinking about any given mitzvah in the Torah, could probably come up with six or seven or eight different explanations of what the thing might be. In geometry, if I have one point, a single mitzvah, how many, li how many lines, right, explanations, can I draw through that one point? An infinite number of them. But if I have two points, 
How many lines can I draw through two points? One. Only one. The Torah is giving you two points. It's saying if you want to understand the principles, I'm going to show you the principles are, draw the line between the vertical expression and the horizontal expression and infer the principle. Let's try it out. Anochi Hashem on the one hand. Lotirzach on the other hand. Right? What would the principle be? A principle that expresses itself as recognition of God in vertical relationships and a prohibition against killing, against murder in horizontal relationships. What do you say? Why? Not all God's creations. You can kill mosquitoes, right? Only people. So you see what this is, right? Recognize big creator vertically. Don't destroy little creator, right? Little version of God, Selim Elohim, um, horizontally, right? And, and, and by the way, you see something also which is remarkable about this, which is like, you know, if you think about why um, people murder other people, right? there's a whole range of reasons why people would kill other people, but the, the, all of the reasons really boil down to one fundamental thing, which is that if I decide that my life is better off without you in the world, right, either because I owe you money or you owe me money or I like your wife or you like my wife, right, or you hate my wife or whatever it is, but once I decide that my life is better off without you in the world, I have a Yitzhahara, maybe I should just get rid of you, right, and the ultimate way to get rid of you would be to kill you, now the question is, could you possibly have that Yetzirah with your creator, with God, right? You might, I mean, there are advantages to living in a world without God. You could lie in bed one night and say, my life is better off without my creator in the world. I have no expectations. I can do whatever I want. So a person might want to kill God, but the only problem is you can't. But what's the next best thing you can do if you can't kill God? You can reject him, or you can ignore him. You can subjectively kill him by ignoring him. So the first command says, don't do that, right? When you're faced with the Sahara to get rid of the other, whether the other is your vertical other, or whether the other is your horizontal other, this other special being, which is either God himself or Tselem don't do that. Recognize the other, right? Don't give in to the desire to get rid of them, either objectively by killing them, or subjectively by ignoring them, right? Incidentally, kind of interesting that ignoring is similar to killing in a deep kind of way. Have you ever been in a social situation where you were sort of uh, systematically ignored? What does it feel like, right? First day of school, no one knows you're there. It's like you're, you're invisible and, and everybody else is with their old friends. I mean, like, it's the worst feeling in the world. It really feels like you're being gotten rid of. Like, don't do that, right? Don't ignore, don't kill, recognize the existence of the other. Principle number two. Principle number two is, um, what's principle number two? Principle number two, right? You should not worship other gods. You should not commit adultery. Idolatry and adultery, very similar. Betrayal, right? Don't betray a special relationship. Worship in the vertical sphere, marriage in the horizontal sphere. Both of these are meant to be exclusive. Don't mix in something that doesn't belong. 
We call that adultery in the horizontal sphere. We call it idolatry in the vertical sphere. Don't do that. It destroys the relationship. Principle number two. Principle number three. Principle number three is do not take God's name in vain. Do not steal. Listen to the words in Hebrew. Lotisa literally means what? Do not lift up and carry off. You see the, the robbery metaphor? It's like, what does God have already? He has his name. The most precious thing that God has is his name. Don't use it without permission. When you do that, you violate someone. Don't do it in horizontal relationships by stealing, especially the thing that is most precious, kidnapping, as Chazal understand it, is what, the, is what the Ten Commandments is talking about, stealing your body. God doesn't have a body, but how does he express himself in the world? Our body is how we express ourselves in, our wor- in this world. God expresses himself in this world through his name. Don't take his name, don't take body, Right? That you violate someone when you do that. Principle number three, don't violate another by taking property. Principle number four. Principle number four, Shabbos. Observe the Sabbath. Don't lie about another person in court. Right? Lotana Chakra. What's the common theme here? Adas, right? Testimony. Stand up and tell the truth about the other. When we keep Shabbos, what are we really saying? God's the creator of the world. He took us out of Egypt. The most important things we know about him, we're testifying through our actions. Testify truthfully in, horizontal, in vertical relationships. Testify truthfully about the other in horizontal relationships. Because if you don't, you're also violating the other. I'm not violating them as obviously if I come along and I steal your cup of coffee and I say this is mine because we can actually see something physical that I'm taking. But if I steal your resume, if I steal your actions, your actions, that's part of who you are too. And if I deny your actions by testifying falsely about them, by, right, then I'm also taking from you. I'm violating you in a different kind of way. Don't do that as principle number four. Now we get to the hardest principle to see. Principle number five, that expresses itself in honor your father and mother on the one hand and, um, and do not covet on the other hand. The link here is hard to see, but the Torah seems to be suggesting that there's a certain personality flaw, which if you have it, will express itself in vertical relationships in terms of dishonor of parents and in horizontal relationships in terms of coveting what other people have in an obsessive kind of way. Coveting, remember the language of the puzzle, coveting their home, coveting their ox, coveting their servant, coveting their lawn, their poodle, their swimming pool, right? You tell a lie to yourself. If I just have the next thing, maybe it'll be enough. If I just have the next thing, but it's never enough. Why? If we played the coveting game, right? And I walked out of here, and I would say, and, and I look at, uh, if I have a volunteer on the men's side, can I have a volunteer on the men's side? What? Yes, so what's your name? Yitzchak Matt. Okay, so I, I look at Yitzchak and I, and I see Yitzchak's watch and I walk out of here and I can't stop thinking about the watch. I'm obsessively coveting his watch and I find, like, how can I, how can I meet Yitzchak again? How can I come back to the young Israel and give another lecture and maybe Yitzchak will come and I'll, and I'll pressure him to sell me that watch. I'll get that watch one way, I'll steal it if I have to. Right? And then and, and th- I realize that I'm being obsessed and this is not good for my mental health, so I, I engage in therapy. So I hire, can I have a volunteer therapist? No? Yes. What's your name? Uh, Dr. Gail Newman, psychologist. Dr. Gail Newman. So I, I sign up with Dr. Gail Newman, psychologist. And I, 
and I'm on the couch, and I'm talking about my problem with Yitzchak, this thing, I'm coveting Yitzchak's watch, and I can't even concentrate on my work anymore. I don't even know what to do. And it's my third session of therapy, and finally, and my therapy is getting nowhere, so Dr. Gail Newman is very frustrated, and so finally she, she kind of throws up her arms, and she says, look, you know, I'm an expensive therapist. I charge $295 an hour, and you've already spent all this money in therapy with me. I mean, like, how much is the watch already? I'll take you to Target, right? And let's go buy the watch. Would that solve the problem if I'm really coveting Yitzchak's watch? It's not going to solve the problem. Why? Because I don't want the watch from Target. What do I want? I want Yitzchak's watch. So what do I really want when I want Yitzchak's watch? And once I have his watch, I want his jacket. And once I have his jacket, I want his poodle. And I want his swimming pool. And I want his lawn. And I want kol asher l'reacha, everything that Yitzchak has. What do I really want? I want to be him. And the lie I'm telling myself is if I could just surround myself with enough of Yitzchak's stuff, then maybe I will feel more like him. Maybe I'll feel like I've crawled out of this little cesspool called my own life, and I'm now inhabiting his place in the world. Now, if I had that kind of relationship with Yitzchak in a horizontal sphere, what kind of relationship would I likely have with my parents in the vertical sphere? Not so good. Why not so good? Because why do you honor your parents? You don't honor your parents because they're nice. You don't honor your parents because they're pretty. You don't even honor your parents because they're smart. Why do you honor your parents? Because they created you. Because they gave you the greatest gift in the world, which is your life. But if I have that relationship with Yitzchak, that I want to crawl out of my skin and become him, what's going to be with my relationship with my parents? Do you see? I'm going to reject them. Why? Because they didn't give me the greatest gift in the world. Because they didn't just give me life, they gave me my life. With all of its pekelachs, right? My life with all of the warts, with all of the problems, and I have this stewing resentment that you gave me the wrong life fundamentally, it's not what I do with it. The fundamental material is wrong. Who I am is wrong. The genes are wrong. The spirituality is wrong. Everything is wrong. And therefore, I can't honor you. So if the Torah says, honor your parents, what is the Torah really saying? If the Torah is saying, honor your parents and don't covet, be happy with who you are. are. Self-esteem. Self-esteem is the fifth commandment. And now you say, well, how did I get there? How do you get to that? That's a, you can't just command somebody. Notice it's the fifth commandment and not the first. What if the Ten Commandments is a path toward self-esteem? You got it. It's one through five. Look at how, what one is and see how interesting it really parallels to five. Five is don't reject yourself. Don't get rid of yourself. Deal with who you are, even if you don't like it. What was principle number one? Recognize God and do not murder. Deal with who the other is, and don't get rid of them, even if it's inconvenient. Ah, so look, principle number one is deal with the other. Principle number five is deal with the self. 
There's a book out there called I'm Okay, You're Okay. The Torah's version might be You're Okay, I'm Okay. Start with the other. Why? First start with recognizing the most basic thing you have to about the other. Don't get rid of them. And then, don't betray your sacred relationship, principle number two. And then, don't take their property, principle number three, whether it's vertical or horizontal relationships, whether it's God or Tzalem Elohim. And then, principle number four, don't lie about their deeds. Tell the truth about who they are. The common denominator of all of those principles is don't violate them. Don't violate them by killing them. Don't violate them by violating this other sphere around them, their sacred relationship. Don't violate them by violating property, which is this other sphere of self. Don't violate them by violating reputation, what they've done in the world, that's this other sphere. Why? If I did all that, the first four commandments, with every single person in the room, with you, and you, and you, and Yitzchak, and everybody, and Gail, and everybody in the room, at some point, my brain has to say, why? Why are all these people so special? What's the common denominator in all of them that I am not willing to violate them? That I am not willing to get rid of them in any of these ways? They don't have the same looks. They don't have the same hair color. They don't have the same intelligence. They don't have the same upbringing. What's the only thing that's the same about them? They're all Salem king. They're all this splendid slice of God. They're all fundamental. They have this wondrous humanity to them, which is so precious that I cannot violate it. If that is how I'm acting with every single person in the room, at some point my brain has to kick in and say, what about me? If I'm not getting rid of anybody else, can I get rid of me? Don't I at least have that? that fundamental human quality that my parents gifted me, and then I can live with my parents, and I can live with not being the other, and I can see what I produce as not poisonous, because it comes from a blessed slice of humanity. The Torah is telling you how to deal with self-esteem. It's telling you in a way, the one thing you got to know before you got married, right? Respect of others, respect of self, Honoring the other and not violating them. Honoring you and not violating them before you can come together with another to make a we. It's telling you how to deal with parents who've done painful things and you don't feel like honoring them. But the Torah is telling you something about honoring them. What is honoring parents about? Self-esteem. When I honor my parent, I don't honor them because they're nice. I don't honor them because they're beautiful. I honor them for one reason only, because they've given me the most precious gift in the world, which is my life. And my act of honoring them is standing up for that special slice of humanity they've given me and saying, this is the most blessed gift in the world, and that's why I honor you. And therefore, I can honor you despite your attempts to harm me. I, I, I spite your attempts to harm me by honoring you and by showing you that nothing can quench the beautiful gift of humanity that I've received of you. No harm and no pain that you can inflict can get in the way of what it is that you've given me. And that's what honor means. Our values are in the Torah. They're really there. 
The reason, it's not just listening to a guy with a long beard and going to a conference and hopefully that they've had enough life, like, life experience. It's not just that I learn halacha and I learn Mishnah Brura. The Torah is more than anything else a guidebook. It's there to talk about values. Values are not like these little things that we can't talk about, and every once in a while we have a conference to try to figure out what we should do with our families. This is the language of the Torah, and we need to learn it carefully. And when we find the real value lessons that lie deep in the text, we should treasure them like pearls because they're God's gifts to us to help us learn to live wonderful lives. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Is this your phone? No, uh, but somebody else is recording, so... No, no. That might be a Hawaii Tower recorder. Okay. Hi. Borrow, I, I'm filling in for Rabbi Open. Yes. Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Baruch Fogel. I am filling in for uh, Rabbi Open. Um, hi. Sure, sure. Okay, okay. Are you recording? Yeah, I'm 